think it's all over. It is now. Here is Kulisevsky. Here is Kane. He scores and silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah, and Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah, brilliant. Mira el centro, clave gol. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Here again uh, to discuss some fun Premier League football this week. Uh, as with me, as always, is my co-host Joe. Who, Joe, I'm guessing you're in a bit of best, better spirits than you were the last time we recorded uh, with your Spurs. Life is great. Yeah, life is great. Right. Everything, everything is restored back to normal. How are you doing? Lovely, lovely. Um... We'll touch on the U.S. men's national team later. Uh, that's been an, uh, an eventful week, so obviously you can't have a perfect week. But uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, can't. I will complain a little bit about Donna's performance, but I will. I will have to at least be appreciative of the fact that they won four nil away. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And before we dive into the games, uh, sad news coming out this morning: Gianluca Vialli passing away. Uh, he's been kind of dealing with cancer for some time now. He stepped away from his role with Italian football. Um, I believe was just before the holidays and uh, yeah, sad news coming out that he's passed away. Uh, growing up, uh, definitely one of the, the key players in the Premier League that I remember as a kid, uh, as Chelsea days, uh, one of the international players coming into the Premier League, kind of bit, bit of a different style to your typical British footballer at that time, uh, brought some kind of style and panache to the, to the league and then obviously had some stints as, as a manager as well. Uh, great player. I uh, remember some great goals that he scored, some good volleys, and uh, yeah, sad to hear. Always, uh, always sad when someone passes away, and especially when it's young and they've been dealing with uh, some illnesses. It's uh, it's sad for everyone involved. So condolences going out. Uh, Joe, any any memories of Viali, or is it kind of a bit bit too distant in the past for you? Yeah, a little bit before my time. Um, I would like to, you know, let the listeners know we don't typically want to start every podcast <laughs> off with someone dying True. uh we've just had a, a string here with you know grant wall and pele and now viali we just had a a stretch here of just very important figures in the world of, of uh football dying so mm-hmm. um we felt like it's important to touch on these um yeah. but uh yep uh you know chelsea legend obviously uh wasn't as you know didn't watch him play so it's a little bit different for me um obviously but uh you know a, a very sad loss um, you know, for the fans of for his fans and you know, everyone who, you know, enjoyed his, his football. For sure, for sure. And uh in his honor we will kick off by talking about his former team Chelsea who um didn't have the, the best result uh, against Man City. Uh finished one nil. I think uh, the main takeaway from this game, Joe, for me is a lot of what you were talking about in the last couple of podcasts around uh, Man City's strength in depth. Uh, two substitutions around the uh, the hour mark really changed this game. Grealish and, and Mares coming on, and obviously linking up for the goal. Uh, what are your thoughts are kind of this top of the table clash ish? Chelsea are now quite quite far distance from the Champions League spots, but uh, typically this is one of the big big games that people mark down on their calendars. What are your thoughts of it? Yeah, so I think yeah, it was just it just was a weird game. I would say in the first half, it seemed like Chelsea kind of had the better of it. Man City looked um, <clears throat> just a bit, just a bit nervous. And I actually mentioned to some people, you know, I, I thought 
that the Chelsea money line it was like four four twenty at kickoff plus mm-hmm. four twenty meaning, you know, I just felt like that was a little too high. I felt like there was like a greater than a you know twenty percent chance Chelsea was going to win this game, right? Right. Um, it's just Chelsea's a team that normally, when you get them at the bridge, they up their level of play. And Man City coming in midweek, Chelsea needed a result. It just seemed like it had a recipe of a of a, a draw or even maybe a Chelsea win. But obviously that did not happen. But the first half, when you watch the first half, I think the big thing, and it's always hard to judge because we don't know how things would have played out differently, where you know, within 25 minutes, both Sterling and Pulisic were hurt right. and had to be taken off. Um you know, and he, you know, he brings on a bombing ink who got something again you know, later. <laughs> right, didn't last the whole game. You know, the rare, rare to see a player go on and come off, but uh, he didn't really. I don't think you know. Obviously, he's past his best, and I don't think he you know is a real striker. And it was kind mm. of like a last resort for Chelsea in the transfer window. But yeah, I think you know, if going into halftime, I think you know Chelsea fans should have been pretty pleased with where they stood. But I think the big thing and the big takeaway that I have is, you know, we can talk a lot about Pep Guardiola and how he's always, you know, whether it be at Barcelona or Munich or, or now at City, he's always had the resources, right? right. But I thought, and he, you know, he's actually kind of made some questionable decisions in major matches, overthinking things from time to time. Um, but I think, in you know, to start the second half, I think it was really smart. You know, it's a nil-nil game. You know, you don't it's not something you have to make changes at because, you know, Man City were, I think, getting slightly outplayed, but it wasn't like an awful performance, right? But what does he do? He, you know, takes off Kyle Walker, takes out Cancelo, brings on Akanji and Lewis, Rico Lewis to change up the game. And I think that paid huge dividends because I think it took, I think, a couple minutes into the second half, but I think City just kind of took control. Right. And especially, you know, once they scored the goal and then, in the last 25 30 minutes i think they really took control over chelsea and i think this is one of the you know one of the rare instances you can see where pep guardiola you know took advantage of the resources that he has in game and made a strategic adjustment that Graham potter and chelsea could not come back from yeah because he he changed from kind of three at the back with with wing backs to to four at the back and i think that like you say that kind of changed everything and you know, you can have all the resources in the world, but if you don't know how to make those adjustments or you can't read the game well enough to see, like, oh, if I make this slight change, it can it can get us back into this game or in control of this game. Um, so you still got to give him credit. Yeah, he's always been at places that have had resources, have had great players and are set up for success, but you still have to get that to happen, right? Um, and, yeah, it was a perfect example of that. And then, again, 15 minutes later, after changing the formation, City getting into the game, brings on Grealish and Mahrez, and it's just, you know, those two players are probably in the starting 11 of every other Premier League team. And you've got both mm-hmm. of them on the bench that you can bring on um, for kind of half an hour at an end of a game to, to try and get a victory. And it's just, it's, yeah, just the depth is, you've spoken about it before. It's, it's just unbelievable. And I think that's what's really going to help City uh, down the stretch uh, where you keep, whereas you compare it to Arsenal and we'll, we'll talk about them in a minute um, don't quite have that on the bench to, to really change a game, not that star power and I think the injuries for Chelsea would definitely uh, they'll definitely feel those two injuries two very kind of quick creative players uh, mm-hmm. to lose Sterling so soon in the game, it basically changes your whole game plan at that point, right? Like Everything you set up for and planned for um, in I think it was about the fourth or fifth minute that he went down, 
you just like you don't even have a chance to really talk to your players right like it's not like you're then back in the dressing room you can you can talk to them and say okay this has happened this is how it's switching it's like you got to switch that on the fly and i think they did well uh considering that happened and and be like you say kept in the game uh city i think it's the the perfect example of not the best man city performance you're ever going to see by by a far distance but they ground out the victory right like they didn't play great they didn't dominate the game um like we often see them do but you know they still walked away with three points uh and you know they saw the opening from from arsenal and newcastle drawing the night before and were able to to step into that and and get that three points and that's what kind of wins you the titles right you're not as you're not on your best and you can still get three points that's going to be the difference come may uh and you're counting your final point tally but I thought it was a good game. I think it's uh, it was also another example of really seeing this Chelsea team in a bit of flux right now. And Graham Potter, I don't know that I look at this and think this is a Graham Potter team right now. I don't think he probably feels like that. Um, it's kind of piecemeal of, of a few previous managers, different signings, and Chelsea have often just kind of signed names. You like they don't necessarily sign for a purpose, and especially when they're changing over managers like they do, uh, they they kind of by individual pieces rather than look look for the distance and try to build a team. So hopefully um, history probably doesn't uh, favor Potter too much, but hopefully they give him a bit of time, a couple of transfer windows to try and build something for himself. Yeah, I think looking forward, <clears throat> you know, I think in general Man City wasn't a, a great performance in this game, but they got the job done. Mm-hmm. They won away at Chelsea. So I think from their perspective, this is kind of really the launching pad, I think, to the rest of the year, right? They have some tough fixtures coming up. Obviously, they have to play Chelsea again in the FA Cup third round, which should be interesting, Um, you know, to see if that game is any different than this one was today. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think going forward for for, um, Man City, I mean, they obviously have a big clash at United. They have to play Tottenham midweek in, you know, a week and a half time. So they're, you know, the schedule is picking up from Man City, but this is kind of when they excel. This is when they put their right. 10, 15, 20 game unbeaten streaks where <laughs> they win, you know, 13 out of 15 games. This is this is when they do that, right? Yeah. And this is when, you know, you as a Liverpool no fan know well. This is kind of when they, you know, kind of seize <laughs> seize the trophy in this, yeah. in this, you know, time frame. And we're just about at the midway point now. So, you know, obviously we saw the drill with Arsenal. We'll talk about that in a second. So I think this is kind of a launching patch game for Man City. But then you look at the other side of Chelsea, and I think that's where, you know, the real story is, right? And I think it's a very complicated situation because, you know, obviously we had the whole Abramovich, Abramovich uh, ordeal in yeah. the, within the past year. Todd Bowley takes over. Their transfer window was kind of a mess. It seemed like they just kind of they, they didn't have a real plan they were just kind of splashing all over the place and mm-hmm. they were bringing in guys when they were spending a lot of money and now we even hear in this window they want to bring in emmy martinez they're having issues with benfica you know benfica wants to release clause chelsea doesn't want to play it and they're just kind of it seems to there obviously seems to be a disconnect there but just in general when you look at this chelsea team you know we see where they are on the table they're 10th but the great the amazing thing is the goal difference is one you know they've scored right. 20 goals they've given up 19 20 goals is not that's not like that's really bad for a team like chelsea right you know, leicester have scored more Leeds have scored more i mean they're like i think 13th in the league in goals scored right. that's not acceptable and they have plenty of talent but the issue is obviously graham potter 
I think we both think highly of Graham Potter. The question is, you know, what does what is his can he make turn his system into Chelsea system right? right can he get the respect of the players can he you know can they do can they enact what he wants them to do because I don't really see a, a Graham Potter system when I'm currently watching this Chelsea team it's right. early and so it makes sense but I don't see that and then the other issue that you know I think you know we can get into here uh, I'd love to hear what you think about this is what with all these injuries Chelsea have right they have I think like 10 injuries to to players that are important to their success. Right. What do they do with all of these injuries? Yeah, I um, think we could go on and on. You know, we added Pulisic and Sterling here, but you already have Mount and Fofana and both and both, you know, Reese James and Chilwell. Both of their center backs that add so much um, you know, width to what Chelsea does, you know. Mm-hmm. If in a Grand Potter system if you had those two, you know, back, uh, right back and left back, I think we'd see a huge difference. So I just think that are real crossroads, and it's interesting. Yeah, and I think, uh, like you mentioned, the lack of goals and then obviously losing Pulisic and and Sterling in the same game. Um, Two players that you could think, even if they're not scoring the goals, are definitely going to be playing a part in creating goals. And it's yeah, the the laundry list or the the injury list is, is getting longer and longer at this point. And what I'll be interested to see, and you mentioned it around... Kind of this, the the players he has and and the, the squad that he has don't fit or they don't feel like a Graham Potter team, and it'd be interesting to see what the level of turnover is or what the level of turnover the board and you know the new owner allow him to do because I think that's right. how he's going to be successful. If they're saying you need to make this work, I think it's going to be a really long slog because I don't think he necessarily has the pieces to to do what he wants to do um if they give him a bit more freedom and say like okay let's ship these people out ship the and bring these people in i think that's where we will be able to see kind of obviously not in january there's not going to be that light switch moment if that's too big of an ask but if he can kind of put a couple of pieces in place uh over over this january transfer window and then over the summer kind of move some players out move players in and then have a bit of a preseason with that squad I think that like next year uh there's no reason to kind of doubt that he can put his stamp on it but will they allow that I don't know Chelsea right. in passive not <laughs> right and, and obviously it's Todd Bowley now not Roman Abramovich but right. how what kind of season does Chelsea need to have for Potter to stay on next season because like, they're 10th right now like I don't well, think they're going to make top four. Obviously, if they make top four, I think he's safe. But if they finish like eighth, right? Yeah. And, you know, they finish below, let's say, Brighton or, you know, whoever. Well, even, their, even their main rivals, that Fulham, right? Like, that's the local yeah. rivals, Fulham, is like right. they're in much better form and a much better position right. than them right now. And I think, yeah, I think anything outside of Europe and, you know, there's always between, what, seven and eight European spaces, depending on who wins whichever cups and, and whatnot. Um, I think they have to be in Europe for him to keep his job. I think they have to be in Europe to be able to put some pieces together as well, because I don't know, you know, the Premier League is a great place to come and play, but the the top players want to be playing in the top leagues as well as the Champions League, or at least Europe of some form, right? Like, they, that's what's important to the players when they're picking and choosing between multiple offers. So I think... 
I think they, yeah, I think they have to qualify for Europe in one way or another, or go on like a cup run. I think that's something that can save him, you know, still bringing a trophy another way. Um, I don't think he can with the squad. I, I don't kind of look to them and think, oh yeah, that you can, can put their name on the FA Cup trophy or something like that. But, you know, if he can make a run and, and maybe get a trophy, that'll keep him safe. But if if I was running it, I would say he should be safe regardless, right? Like this is not really his team he's inherited. The injuries are not his fault. To get rid of him, who are you bringing in for starters? Who like who's replacing him? And we can talk about that a bit with with some of the other teams with with managerial problems. But it's to just get rid of him because you know they don't have a great season this year. I don't think helps you for next year because then you just it's kind of rinse and repeat at that point. But that's also like you say. I know it's different ownership now, but that's kind of how Chelsea have operated for the last twenty years. Even with some of their successful managers, any sign of slight shortcomings they're, they're not given any kind of ground to to make it back up well i mean we see how cutthroat it is i mean we've seen you know teams that have been recently promoted you know been in the league for multiple years the manager gets sacked quickly yeah. even with tottenham we saw as nunu spurtu santu he was manager for just about 10 12 games and they cut <laughs> the court so like i just if i'm graham potter i'm i'm trying to get some results here and there's a lot of injuries building up and i just i think it's a like i think we mentioned it last week it's a club and crossroads yeah. i think this performance obviously just continues that but it's just i just i don't know if there's a clear direction that the club is headed in yeah and i think we got to look at um and i don't want to bring my liverpool bias in here like talking about someone like a team like arsenal and the trust that they've put in Arteta in, in yep. charge he hasn't been delivering but you know you give them time like to keep changing over managers you're just going to get stuck in that cycle so you know I think yep. Liverpool were similar when they brought in Klopp right like he didn't instantly deliver but you know you gave him the time you gave him a bit of a runway to be able to build something put something together make the squad his squad not something they've just inherited and given them the chance and then they push on and they are successful so I think again I, I don't think that's quite how football operates everything's like the here and now and the instant results and you know i think a lot of sports are like that but i think if if chelsea want to build something over the next kind of five years or so just getting rid of potter because he hasn't got them in the champions league this year would be a big big mistake and i don't think uh, it's something that i would do but like i say i think it's it's not just chelsea i feel like i'm picking on them a bit for, for changing their managers so much but, oh, but it's 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 across the board and i think it's, right that's what needs to happen no i mean obviously we could go through watford and a million other clubs that have done the same thing but it's just you know just though if you just go back and look at you know the summer transfer when Boli took over it was all over the place like i talked about and mm-hmm. then they you know keep in mind they kept tuchel the whole time and then what early september what after three or four games they sack him yeah and they obviously appoint Potter. You know, I mean, I think especially a club like Chelsea, I think it's it's very difficult to take over in the middle of a season, especially in September. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why, you know, he didn't have a full camp. He didn't have an opportunity to, to bring any transfers if he wanted. I guess they have that opportunity now in January. I just – I think it was a difficult spot for Grand Potter to be put in. And, you know, look, Todd Bowley was barely – was barely um at the club he hasn't even owned it for a year you know Tuchel was kind of like you know <laughs> you know he was the, the manager but he was also making transfer decisions right. and then three 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 games of the season he sacked well what kind of you spent the whole you know preseason the entire transfer window with him in charge getting right. players that he wants or things that he thinks he wants and not doing it well and now 
three, you know, a few games into the season, you fought, you sack him, and now you have, you know, you hire Grand Potter, which you know I thought was a great hire. It's just time and place were kind of questionable, and I just think, you know, the whole the whole thing has been off since Todd Bowley's taken over, yeah. and I just, I just, I question if they have a a solution to it. Yeah, I think they had to make that decision from the get go. Like, is Tuchel your your guy? Okay. If he is, like, you got to give him the season, right? Like, yes, they didn't start off well. Um, but, yeah, like you say, it was a bit odd. You know, this is also a guy that won the Champions League for Chelsea, what, two years ago, three years ago now? Like, it's it's, it's not like this was some nobody that was just no. in above his head. Like, this was is a well-respected manager, and they got rid of him. And I think um, well, he, that doesn't speak He had won well. the Champions League in 2021, so it was like, yeah, like a year ago. Well, like a year, a year. A year, yeah. then he got sacked. Yeah, so it's... Uh, yeah, That's it, I, That's yeah. Uh, we can move on to uh, to we, the other we, top of the table clash. Yes. Next uh, week we might do a deeper dive on Chelsea. Yeah, uh, a, just a lot to of get meat a, on that bone for sure. Yes, we might take a deep dive inside the club uh, during yeah. FA Cup week. But yeah, I think I think we've set our feelings on Chelsea. <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, it's a very fascinating game. club right now. For sure. Okay, so the other top of the table clash: Arsenal, Newcastle, and Joe. I'm gonna. Uh, say something here not to offend our north american listeners but you know one of the things that north americans often don't like about soccer is there can be a game that there are no goals it's a tie and that that's just the end uh but i think this is where i would show them a case study of well watch this nil nil draw it was great it was fun it was passionate people were kicking each other there was penalty appeals left and right Arteta is all annoyed after the game and I think this is the perfect example of yes there were no goals yes it ended in a tie after 90 minutes but it can still be a great game what were your thoughts on this one so I think this is a fun game so just looking at the top of it you know we you said it was a fun nil nil the xg in this game was almost identical 1.15 for arsenal so in 1.13 for newcastle so you know right. maybe should have been a 1-1 draw post and nil nil but mm-hmm. i think the great thing it was a very even competitive game and i think it was a little odd like uh, the first five to ten minutes of like arsenal were gonna romp they were like completely dominating they were creating great chances and the crowd was into it, and it looked like oh my god here we go this is a team that's ready right. and then after that it just kind of became much more even and i would say Newcastle kind of took more of the initiative after those first 10 minutes in the rest of the 80 minutes of the game. This was a game that we saw a lot of yellow cards. It was a physical game. We saw a lot of, you know, dark arts and time wasting <laughs> towards the end from Newcastle. Um, I thought it was just, it was a fun game. Even like you mentioned, even though there was no goals, I think these are two teams that could, you know, top of the table in third place right now. I think um, the one thing I want to give credit to Newcastle, and I don't think I've I've given them enough due is how good their back four is. Right. Um, you know, and, and we can include Nick Pope in that. I think he made a huge save yeah. on Enketia during this game. Um, but I think, really, I think when you when you know I look at this you know Newcastle lineup and I've talked about it, like you don't I don't see the quality up front, right? You know, Joe Linton, Almiron, Wilson, Longstaff, Willick. This, this are, these are not like top four Champions League quality players. Right. But I think when you look at the, the back four, you know, Trippier was was has been great all year. Uh Shar, Botman, Byrne, I think they've just been solid pros. And I think they, they, they they're you know, I think Eddie House sets them up well and I think they just play very well defensively. I think I think right. they've given up the, lo- the lowest amount of goals in the Premier League. I think they've only given up like 11, which is, 
incredibly low. So I just their goal difference is obviously terrific, but yeah, they've only given up eleven goals all year. Yeah, that's that's tremendous. Um, and so they're going to be a tough nut to crack. Like even though I don't like, I not that I don't like them. I just don't think there's as much quality in the front six that other teams around them in the table and below them have. Mm-hmm. The back four is so solid that that's something that could carry them. Yeah, and I think what Newcastle did really well in this game was basically, like you say, Arsenal came out how Arsenal have been playing of late, and Newcastle did a great job of just knocking them off their stride and then just kind of doing everything you can, whether it was kind of above board or or not in, in some cases and some of the things that they try to really get under the Arsenal player's skin and stuff like that. But I think it just really threw Arsenal off their game. And that's that's a sign of a good team. And, and like you say, when you've got like the strength of the back that you can you can do that and you can kind of have these disturber games where you may not be playing beautiful football yourself and scoring two, three, four goals, but you're playing one of the best teams in the league right now and you completely took them off their their own game and uh and made it difficult for them frustrated the home crowd as well right like this was it would be more believable the way they played if it was up at st james's park but this was this was at arsenal right like they're at home they come out the crowd's like buzzing for it and yeah newcastle i think uh really showed that they are week after week now showing that they are serious contenders for definitely top four uh the, the title picture like you say i don't know if they've got the the kind of the attacking prowess to really stay in the mix there but you know we've seen some inconsistencies from pretty much every team right now um yep. so i don't think and, unless man city do go on one of their ridiculous unbeaten runs i think this is going to stay close for a while and when newcastle can can have performances like this and you know they'll be one point for them in this game was basically a win for them, right? Like, that's what they would have been more yep. than happy going in. Um, I do want to talk about two two penalty appeals in this. Uh, one for a foul on Gabriel, and the other one for a handball pretty much right at the death of the game. Uh, yep. What were your thoughts on, on the two shouts? Arteta are obviously very vocal after the game, um, saying it was, I forget the word he used, something along the lines of it being a travesty or something that, that they weren't given. Uh, what were your yeah. thoughts on the two penalty shouts? Well, you know, you can tell Eddie Howe usually mild manner was getting a little annoyed at Arteta in <laughs> this game. But, um, yeah, I think specifically with the handball, look, I, I've seen it given. And I think this is the one thing when – I think this is the one rule in football that is the most un-universal – like what's the opposite of universally? Just, you know, isolated. It's so different. Um mm-hmm from from league to league from referee to referee it's insane like i've seen this type of penalty given i've for a handball i've seen it not given uh you know i think we have clear rules on most things in football now i mean i think all sides especially with var is pretty clean cut even Mm -hmm. if it's annoying at times i just the handball rule i just feel like it's different every game and so personally i don't want that to be a handball because i don't want a ball that's into the box that you know barely that you know barely into the box it's so close to newcastle defender i don't want that to be rewarded with the penalty but there is a line there right i mean you can't just have defenders making themselves big and curtailing opportunities either right so there is obviously a line i would just you know his arm is a little extended there i i would just give him the benefit of the doubt because it's it's so close it's close enough to him where I, i would not give it but like i said it's there's no really clearly defined the, the rules are i guess they're clearly defined but they're interpreted so differently mm-hmm. that um like you know unbiased i just i would not want that to be a penalty 
yeah it's 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 a subjective rule right like it's and i think the the one of the worst things is when you're sitting at home watching it on tv and you see it another 50 times in super slow motion super zoomed in you know yes it clearly hits the guy on the arm but you've got to think in real time he hasn't deliberately moved his arm towards the ball he hasn't tried to push the ball away like there's no deliberate act there it's just you know there's going to be numerous instances throughout a season when a ball is kicked really hard or kicked in a different direction and it's going to hit someone's arm like that's just the nature of having 22 men on a field with arms right like it's it's going to happen and i think to your point i think especially like it was into stoppage time right at the death if if that had been given that's what gets arsenal a one nil victory here like as a fan of the game would i be okay with that not really and like i know obviously there needs to be rules um but yeah i think i think that one would have been very harsh i don't think there was a lot more the player could have done to to not have kind of got his hand out of the way with the the, the speed that it all happened at and like you like you say it wasn't like he was overly kind of trying to make himself bigger with the use of his arms because i think that then comes into yeah if you're if you're kind of putting your arms waving your arms around as trying to to make yourself bigger and make it harder for the attacker then if it then hits your arm then that's your own fault yeah that's a penalty but this was just such a kind of bang bang kind of ricochet and it would have just been harsh the gabrielle foul um i think there was a bigger case for i think gabrielle probably harms his chances of getting a penalty that he almost looked like he was already kind of falling but then there's definitely contact (laughs) um i think there's definitely um there definitely is a foul i think it's one of those ones and and this is one of the things that always drives me nuts is when you hear people say like oh that's a free kick outside of the box every single time and it's like well there's no rule that says a foul has to be more egregious or worse a foul in the box for it to be a foul it's either a foul or it's not um i think if this happens on the defender, the ref probably gives it as a foul. If like if if the, if Gabriel's the defender in this situation, so I think I think this one Arteta probably has a bit more of a case. Um, it's also one of those ones that I'm not overly thinking. Oh, it definitely should have been given though. Like it's it, like I say, it looks like he's already somewhat kind of going down. He's looking for it a little bit. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Gabriel kind of foul, non-foul? Yeah, I mean, I would lean towards that being a penalty, but um, I don't think it's like an open and shut case. But mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that should have been a penalty. Yeah, so they end up drawing nil-nil. Obviously, that then gave Man City the chance to close the gap a little bit uh, with their win. Anything else to say on, on Arsenal Newcastle before we move on? Yeah, I think just looking forward, I think Newcastle, it's a good result. I think, you know, they're basically where we think they're going to be can they get into the top four? I think for, for Arsenal, I think the one thing that sticks out in this game, and we've talked about it, is they only made one sub in a nil-nil game. That was Tommy Asu coming in for Ben White. So that was really just – that wasn't like a, to improve the squad. That was just mm-hmm. kind of Ben White was getting tired. Right. Um, but I think the big thing, and I think, you know, like I said, we've talked about this before, it's just the squad depth, right? This is the third game in, what, like 10 days for Arsenal – and it's the same starting 11 again, right? It's we, we know their starting 11 is good. We've shown that. We've seen that. But the question is, do they have the depth, right, especially to compete with City? They still have to play City twice. So in this game, you know, was this kind of uh, – was the Arsenal performance worse than it's been recently because of the opposition in Newcastle, which is very possible. Like we've said, this is the best defensive team in the Premier League so far. 
or was it also that combined with the fact that this is a third game in 10 days, the same guys have been playing 90 minutes, you know, the <laughs> back-to-back games and now the third game, and Arsenal just doesn't have the the bench to freshen up legs and continue to kick on late. So I think that's something that we have to continue to monitor going forward um, when it comes to Arsenal. Yeah, I think I think you say it best around the, the substitution they made is a like for like substitution. There's, so if you if you ask me what's Arsenal's plan B, um, the same way that Man City's plan B was change formation at halftime and bring on a bunch of big names to, to change the game. What's Arsenal's plan B? I don't I don't really know. I don't think they've got a way that they can um, drastically change the way that they're playing, which would help them get back in the game. Right? Like I don't see how they make those big shifts, um, and that comes with depth. So. Uh, I think it's something we've we've talked a lot, but we'll uh, we'll move on to a team that I'm I'm going to start saying are maybe in the title challenge with with some of the fixtures they got coming up. Man United win yet again, go about business, destroy Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth's terrible goal difference continues to get bigger and bigger as they lose three nil. Um, definitely check out the first goal because Zemiro, uh takes it well. It's not like the the craziest of volleys, but it's just the cross from Eriksen from the set piece is like the most perfect cross uh, right onto uh, Casemiro's foot. Um, Luke Shaw with a nice goal, like a team goal, if you like those sorts of goals, free-flowing, turned defense into attack very, very quickly. Uh, And Luke Shaw kind of played a part earlier on in the move, which I always like when you kind of see them towards the start of the move and then the same guy finishes it off. Uh, And then Rashford with a goal kind of late on, just like a tap-in from a nice uh, Bruno Fernandes lay across the box. Uh, What are your thoughts on, on Man United and Bournemouth? Uh, Bournemouth are not good. Um, I don't know if they're... I think if you put a gun to my head, I think they're one of the three worst teams in the league. Yeah. But yeah, they're not good. I think... <laughs> I mean, I know you, you mentioned how great off the free kick that Casemiro goal was, but uh, I don't no know. No one was mocking kind of, him, to be fair. Yeah, it's pretty piss poor defending. Um, the Luke Shaw goal, like you said, you know, he started at the break and then he finished it. Um, it was pretty open. And then I think once... Once United got up 2-0 in the second half, they were kind of lethargic. Uh, and I don't want to kill them too much. As we just mentioned with Arsenal, this is you know the third game in a short period of time here for them. Yeah. And they're up 2-0 on Bournemouth. But Bournemouth did have opportunities to maybe get back in it. Yeah. Um, but they, they just couldn't convert because they, they weren't sharp enough up front. I think you know, De Gea made a couple nice saves. I think he's kind of had a nice kind of bounce back here this year. Right. Obviously, once Rashford you know scored the third goal, it kind of ended it. But... Look, I think I'm not like blown away by this United performance, but they won. Th- you know, I think this is going to be one of the easier fixtures. You know, Bournemouth at home, you got to get three points here. But you know, they did a good job. You know, they took advantage of it. And I think the the key thing for them over this break is, you know, they've won. They've won. You know. Yeah. So they've won three in a row. They're now sitting fourth in the table, tying out points with Newcastle two ahead of Tottenham. I mean, this is really kind of the crux of the battle for the top four. Right. You know, it's going to be between Newcastle, Man U, Tottenham, Liverpool, maybe Chelsea, we don't know. But, you know, that's kind of where the crux of it. So when any time you can bank three points is a good three points. I'm not super impressed with this performance, but if you're telling me, like, I still think, like, if you had to put it, if you put a gun to my head, who's more likely to come top four, Tottenham, um, Newcastle, or Man U, at this time, I might just edge. I might just edge it to Newcastle, just because I like their back four a little bit better. But you know, I don't think there's much in it. 
Yeah, and I think maybe my the lens I'm looking at it being impressed with Man United, like you say, it's it's Bournemouth at home, and we've talked enough about Bournemouth and being bad. Um, but this is the kind of game that Man United were dropping points in like a year or so ago, right? Like they've been through this yep. kind of run of form where they they were dropping points here. They were looking terrible. You know, they would get a good result against one of the bigger teams, and then you know at home midweek against the the lower teams was when they'd start randomly losing and Harry Maguire would have one of his, you know, epic failures at the back. And I think that's why maybe I'm I'm kinda overhyping it a little bit, but it's just it's such a, a contrast. Um for for Man United to just be winning games kind of never really in doubt. Like you say, there was some good good saves from De Gea, but it was not really ever in doubt. I don't think if if push came to shove and Bournemouth had nicked a goal, I think they would have still gone on to win Man United. So I think that's kind of where I'm coming from from that. And like I say, we're looking at teams like Liverpool, Chelsea, even Spurs, obviously winning this week. But before that, it's been a lot of inconsistency. So if Man United just keep taking care of business, um, it's going to help them create some distance between their competitors. So yeah, and and like you say, Bournemouth, I think. Uh, we'll get on to another team who I think are probably worse uh, a bit later in Southampton. Um, but I think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if they're kind of competing for relegation right until the wire, if not kind of down and out before them, because they just look like yeah. they're going to concede goals. Uh, any more to say on this one? I just last thing I want to say is um, I think the reason why I keep comparing Man United to Newcastle is I think they're kind of in the same psych- life cycle right now. Right. They both have you know new managers they're both i think kind of on the precipice of getting better and better maybe of making the top four you would have to think at least one of them is going to be in the top four i think they're going to get more and more investment as the years go by i think they have good managers and i just think that you know they're going to be two clubs that are they're on a similar trajectory and i think it's going to be fascinating to see like if you you know who's going to you know who's going to finish in the top four first maybe they both do it this year Who's going to you know, challenge for a title? Who's going to win a challenge? Who's going to win a title between those two sides? I think it's really even between these two sides, as crazy as that is mm-hmm. um, on the face of it. Yeah, and I think they're the they're polar opposites of, of Chelsea and Liverpool right now, which is kind of going the opposite way of like, who knows where they're going to be in a couple of years if they keep trending the way they do. So yeah, definitely a fun thing to watch over the next few years. And maybe I'm being too harsh, but you know, Liverpool in black plays, I have to get my digs in somewhere. Uh, yes, okay. I guess so. We'll move on to your Spurs. Tottenham oh. winning 4-0 away at Palace. Oh. Uh, I know a few people had money on both teams to score here. I don't know how Palace didn't score. They had some oh. great chances. Some people. Just just, just say my name. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> just, uh, I was like, okay, it's two, when it was 2-0, oh I'm like, okay, maybe we can get Chelsea, Palace on three. Get a Palace a goal here. Yeah, just let them score at this point. Yes, just let them score. It. it doesn't matter. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you take the reins with this one. What are your thoughts of? Uh, oh, everything. Palace rainbows, rainbows and butterflies. Rainbows <laughs> and butterflies. Everything is perfect at uh, Old Hotspur Way. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, look. I think this scoreline is flattering. I think you just kind of said it without saying it. Uh, this scoreline is flattering. Uh, I, I definitely think Palace should have scored a goal at some point. Yeah. Zaha had three or four chances that he just could not finish. Um, what I will say about this game, and I think this is just, it's kind of Tottenham-esque, even though they won 4-0. I think the first half, I mean, it was pretty pretty conservative again. I think Crystal Palace were the better team in the first half. Right. Um, and then the second half hit, and Tottenham rose up, more specifically Harry Kane. Yeah. Uh, it was a brilliant, you know, I think the Perisic uh, cross to Kane was 
It was brilliant. Obviously, Kane rises above everybody else and finishes it. Tottenham go one up, and I think the floodgates kind of opened, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Palace has to open up to try and get the goal, and then that's exactly what Tottenham wants. They want space to operate on the counter. Kane finishes the second goal. Uh, you know, very nice finish. I think Brian Hill, someone I had mentioned last week, the young player, I think he's getting finally getting playing time. He's showing his ability. I think he's just another... You know, they have, you know, Dijan Kulazowski, they have Rich Olsen, who are both out for this game. But I think Brian Hill's another attacking weapon that Tottenham have. And another reason why I'm, like, I'm kind of annoyed that they're not better, because they have so much quality, I think, attacking. And, you know, Matt Doherty finished the third goal. Sing- Sung Hing Mon, you know, got the fourth goal, and he looks better. He-, he looked a little bit more lively than he has in the past. So, look, it, it looks great because they won 4-0, but I think this is really a game where... You know, if Palace scores a goal in the first half or a goal in the second half, you know, Tottenham probably still score a goal or two. But so much was predicated on the fact that Tottenham scored first and they were able to open up that Crystal Palace uh, defense because they were obviously trying to, you know, counter and score. You know, that opened the game up completely for Tottenham. And that's why it's the infuriating thing, the fact that they've given up the first goal 10 straight straight games because if Tottenham had – you know, scored the first goal more often, that's going to open up the defense, and that will play into Tottenham's hand. They're a team that right. needs to be – they don't need to be ahead, but if they're ahead, they can be so deadly on the counter that that's kind of a great system. That's a great spot for them to be on. So for them not to play better in the first half so long, so many times this year, basically all season has been so frustrating. And I think in this game, right, um, if – you know, if if this was a better opposition than Palace, I think Tottenham do concede in that first half. Right. And if they do concede in that first half, I don't. I, I'm. I, it's definitely not four nil, and I don't. I'm not positive they win. So I think this game kind of. It was a good opponent for Tottenham to face. I think it kind of paper over some of the cracks that they have. Mm-hmm. And so even though the score line looks great, I'm not like. I, I'm not super optimistic about it. I see. I still see, the same old Tottenham. You know. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway in this was really, um, and it's not that I'm surprised that Harry Kane is good, but like he looked really good again. Um, like you say, two, gets to the first two goals and then definitely plays a role in in the second two goals as well. And I think he's a player that you know if if he's up and running, you're going to get goals in most games, um, whether it's directly or, or, or through an assist. And I think that was the big thing that maybe hasn't been there since since the world cup and i'm not going to get into the psychology of whether it's the way he went out of the world cup or, or anything like that but this just looked kind of like harry kane at his best and tottenham are in any game when harry kane's at his best he can he can change a game on his own so i think uh that was my biggest takeaway um and yeah i think palace just uh, we'll talk about another game that saw kind of goals in quick succession and and some of these teams they just they seem to be prone to you let in one and then suddenly you've let in two and three and the game's gone beyond reach before you even realize and um that's something that's going to be concerning for palace moving forward they don't want to get in the habit of that um but yeah i think uh i think it's definitely the most positive uh spurs have looked since since the world cup break like you say the first half was a lot more in the balance and then the the scoreline kind of does look flattering and the game got away from palace pretty quickly but uh definitely some a lot more positives than the the last time we talked about about spurs anything else you want to say before we move on i've i've said my piece (laughs) okay we'll we'll shift our attentions to the the other side of the or the, the other half of the table the bottom half uh we'll begin 
with uh, Leeds and West Ham. Um, another really, really good game. Um, another death in football, unfortunately. Uh, their co-chairman, David Gold, passing away. Um, I think he was still co-chairman. Uh, he was actually older than I thought he was. Um, he was well into his 80s, but um, obviously that may have given West Ham a bit of a boost going win it for Goldie. Uh, for me, uh, the real hero that, that really kept uh, West Ham in this game is, is Fabianski in goal. He made some really cracking saves, right, especially right at the death. Um, but I think this game was... I think the best way to describe it is there was about three or four chapters of this game. There was kind of the first chapter, which was Leeds taking the lead, Leeds looking really good, it looking like, here we go again for West Ham. You know, they'd lost five in a row. Uh, it was just going to be kind of another day at the office for them where, where they don't get any points. Um, but then it kind of it flipped a bit, and they, they got a goal. Um, the penalty was given uh, after a review from VAR, and I, th- I think it was a penalty, so that's that's more than fair. Uh, one to tie it back up at one all. Uh, then West Ham continue their kind of ascendancy in this game, get ahead 2-1, uh, and then a lovely goal from Rodrigo to make it 2-2. Uh, it, it kind of enters the next chapter where Leeds then kind of went on a bit of ascendancy, but also the kind of the last 15 minutes or so of this game probably could have gone either way it was just a bit frantic and the kind of game that's always fun to watch um like i say fabianski making some great saves to keep west ham in it right at the end um and and definitely kind of saves that point for them no pun intended but what were your thoughts on this game definitely one of the the more fun and ones to check out of this week yeah fun game i thought it was a relatively even affair um you know i think the first Leeds goal was 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 a nice build up and a nice finish. Um, the crowd was really into it. Mm-hmm. Um, the it was a clear penalty. Uh, you know, Paqueta finishes it, but yeah, I think it was just bad bad defending. And then you know, on the second Leeds goal, Brandon Aronson just just a horrible giveaway there, right. puts it right on, and it was just a lightning quick strike uh, from uh, Skamaka. Uh, you know, which which. You know, both of these really, I mean, so, you know, the two West Ham goals happened right at the end of the first half and right at the beginning of the second half. And, and mm-hmm. both were really, in my opinion, more about leads, not <laughs> just bad leads errors, right? On the penalty, right. it was a terrible challenge. And then obviously Brendan Aronson, uh, the American, making a terrible uh, giveaway there. Um, I think it was, you know, I want, I want to point out Rodrigo, I think he's just, he's been really good this year. Yeah. Um, just, a, you know, a quality finish. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, Fabianski had, you know, stopped the potential winner from Rodrigo when it was 3-2. But, yeah, Rodrigo, you know, 31-year-old, still getting it done, right? So yeah. that's always nice to see. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, Leeds are probably more disappointed that – like, I, I think West Ham had opportunities, but they only finished the opportunities that Leeds gave them. So I think Leeds have to be disappointed, you know, playing at Ellen Road, only getting one point in a potential – not like I wouldn't say these teams are, you know, like core rele- core relegation contenders, but they're right above it. They're right in that tier. Yeah. So I think it's it's always disappointing to get three three points when you play as, you know as well as Leeds did in this game. So, um, you know, I think you know the pressure's still on Jesse Marsh a bit. The pressure's still on Leeds. They still need to get more results. But you know, they're they're a fun watch, obviously. Yeah, and uh, Jesse Marsh is post-match interviews are always fun to watch as well <laughs> so check those out I don't know. he's just so passionate it's hilarious like i don't know he just uh it's like it's like when they interview fans after a game more than like so you know some of the managers don't really like to give us anything whereas he's just like heart on his sleeve like 
yeah, we need to win this game. This is not <laughs> like this is not good, um, which is always fun to watch. But yeah, I think uh, it was it was definitely a fun one. Uh, there was I can't remember which were the two players, but uh, one player kicked uh, the other. The West Ham player kicked the Leeds player, and then two seconds later, there's like a crunching tackle like off the pitch. It was uh, it was beautiful to watch just some of the passion and just seeing uh, these two teams really really wanting to get a result out of this. And uh, that's that's why I watch football anyway. Um, but sticking at the the bottom of the table and teams kind of finding themselves in in a bit of hot water and this is a, a tale of two teams Everton one Brighton four oh. uh, three goals in six minutes Brighton the just continue to win yes and I know uh, Jim has written in uh, and we will go to his thoughts in in a moment but uh, I think uh, Lampard probably in you know you, you felt like the the result against man city and i will be the first one to say that i was wrong saying that's the kind of result that you push on from because uh then you have six minutes when you can see three goals uh the fourth goal is pretty hilarious ghana passing back to no one uh to basically put gross in one on one with the keeper and a, a lovely finish it was just uh yeah, six minutes the the uh, Everton faithful would would definitely want back. Uh, obviously, getting the consolation penalty, but pretty much in front of an empty stadium at that point, right at the end of the game, um, not really meaning much there. But uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Oof, oof, uh, <laughs> oof. I mean, look, uh, let me let me be on the positive with Brighton. I think you know <laughs> under Desabra, little Italian guy, they, they they play great football. I mean, it's it's fun to watch. Right. Um, you know, Matoma on the first goal um, just, just drives from the left left side of the field, you know, across the pitch, meets <laughs> little Everton resistance and finishes. <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, the second goal by Ferguson, like you mentioned, that kind of started off the second the second half. I, Avalanche was off a deflection, um, but but uh, I mean the the last the last two goals were just were just such horrific defending. I mean, I know you're down two nil, but you're still playing at home, and you know at Goodison, it was just uh, horrific. The Adrusia Gay uh, pass that was <laughs> intercepted, um, just uh, I mean, it was just so bad. It was just <laughs> such a a woeful pass to cap it off as the fourth goal that that Brighton had scored. I mean, I think Gay was terrible on the second goal too. Um, you know, he failed to win the ball on that you know on the second goal and i think you know brighton are a good team they're fun to watch they're going to put pressure on you they're attacking side i think you know i think they're they're actually in this game as well over two um and, and it showed they had the you know great great amount of chances but like you know everton is playing at home they're playing at goodison and their defending is just horrific you know yeah. it's one thing you know everton you don't necessarily have the quality up front obviously you know anthony gordon's out um, and they don't, you know, their striker positions obviously leave so much to be desired when he's out. Um, you know, Calvert Lewin, Gray. I'm, I'm, I'm not like super, super excited about any of those guys, right? And I, you know, when I look at this, this, this Everton squad, I don't see much, you know, you know, tremendous talent on this squad. Obviously, Pickford's an English goalie, but I don't even, I rate him all right, but I don't, I don't think he's anything special. But right. I mean, Everton. We can talk about it, but Everton, our team, that really needs to be worried about the back door. I mean, you know, getting relegated because they are proper crap. I mean, yeah. not only do they not score, their defending is, is – this is a, some of the worst defending I've, I've seen, <laughs> you know, without, you know, being a Vutvas uh, <laughs> and putting it in your own net. 
this this defending was just horrific. I can't I can't express. I, I would encourage anyone if you didn't watch this game, like watch some highlights and see how poorly Everton defended. Just watch six and minutes. That, and, six minutes of the was, second half is all you need. <laughs> yes, and, and that was just the goals they gave up. Never mind the goals right. they didn't give up. I mean, yeah. they were just so bad in this game defensively. It's, I I mean, they're a big club. Obviously, they're building the new stadium, but this this is a team that looks like they're they're destined to to get relegated and somehow Frank Lampard still has a job I don't know yeah and uh Olin Olin sent me a question that we'll get into around uh who we think is going to be next out of the job but I think uh Lampard just looks so dejected as well like he just you know someone who had a lot of success in his playing career and you always saw him as someone who would like you know if, if Chelsea weren't playing well he would be the one there like in people's faces getting them worked up for the game and it just like he looked like a far cry from that and just looked oh. like I don't know what more he can do like when when you guys are playing in the opposition one-on-one like that's not his fault <laughs> like he's only got the players available to him he's not making those passes right um you know there's only so yeah. much he can do and I think he's just in he's just at a loss at this point and uh whether it's to do with his managerial style or anything like that I think like you say Everton a, a free fall and another nice win for Brighton and, and a fun team to watch. Uh, so I know uh, Jim reached out to us because he, uh, we we gave him the option yes. of two teams. Uh, what was what was Jim's thoughts on this? Yeah, so Jim, uh, you know, this is the Cromley Derby as I mentioned before. Uh, <laughs> so he said, you know, he's he's watched all three games. Both teams have played. He said neither team has grabbed him completely yet. But <laughs> he, he's warming to both of them, which is always good to see. Really, really trying to get the the process through. Um, you know, basically saying, you know, Everton might make the decision easy on him because you know, they <laughs> might drop down and it might not be a problem. And then the other point he brings up, uh, not Everton or, or Brighton related, is saying that uh, Holland looks like the perfect villain, which he does because I think <laughs> I think Jim's a big uh, Game of Thrones fan and uh, Erling Holland would fit wild, well, well, well <laughs> on the Wildlings or, or any other yeah. villainous squad. Uh, in Game of Thrones, he's just—he's got the features, he's got the the mystique. He's so much bigger than everybody else. So that's definitely a good call by Jim there. Fair, fair. And how was it that Jim got in touch with us? What's the uh, the email address people can reach out to? Probably should have uh, said this at the top. Well, you're slipping, you're slipping. But I am. There's too much football to talk about. Exactly. So it's uh, the Wrong Foot Podcast at gmail.com perfect or check us out at the wrongfootpodcast.com or on twitter at wrongfootpod uh, we'll remind you of those again before the end um anything else to say on this one before we we move on to the west midlands derby uh all i'm gonna say is brighton are good everton are trash <laughs> that's 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 that pretty much summarizes the game uh yeah so we'll, we'll move on to the the west midlands derby villa getting a point uh with wolves 1-1 I think uh, when you look at the table, this this point from Villa takes them to 22 points, seven points off the drop uh, in 11th place. I'm starting to see that there's becoming a bit of a, a gap between the mid-table and then kind of the bottom third, Leicester down uh, on 17 points. And I think this, this point from, from Villa probably helped create a bit more distance for themselves. And again, uh, Emery doesn't like nil-nil draws, so of course there was goals here, um, and they kind of continue that good form under his leadership. And you know, it's it's only a point, but in a derby, and you know, we'll see this in uh, as the season plays out. Sometimes it doesn't matter if you're 
the top of the league versus the bottom of the league in a derby. Uh, it's it's a different atmosphere. It's a different type of game. Um, there's there's hatred involved. There's passion, uh, and, and results are a funny thing. So I think I think a point here, especially having been behind and, and the, the equalizer coming relatively late on, um, is a good point for Villa and Wolves. Would have preferred more. They would have preferred more of their smash and grab that they had against Everton. Uh, a week or so ago uh, to try and get themselves out of the drop zone but see themselves still in 19th uh, what are your thoughts on this one yes yeah, so I, I thought this was going to be a tough watch I, I, I bet the other <laughs> in this one and I was lucky um, you know I was definitely swanning it out uh, you know I think Villa have to be disappointed honestly they, they, they I, I really feel like they should have had multiple goals in this game um you know, for Wolves on the on the positive side, I think Max Kilman had a had a fantastic um, defense off the line. The goalie was beaten; he right. slid back into the defense and you know kind of got his body in the way. Uh, you know, and that's the type, that's a that was a one point defense right there, right? That yeah. got Wolves one point in this game more than likely. Um, you know, obviously Wolves were kind of in control of this game for most of the game on the scoreboard. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why Villa had so much of the ball and looked so well. Wolves were just trying to protect the early yeah. lead that they got on the Pondent's goal, which was a, a brilliant, you know, John Matino, you know, a bit of class there. Um, they scored the opening goal, and I think because of that opening goal, you know, I think we sometimes talk about, you know, XG being a bit misleading, and I think this is a type of game because Wolves want to defend, right? right. Especially when they're up a goal, and Villa are going to have more of the attempts, and that's kind of what happened. Um, until Danny Ings finally were able to tie it up in the 78th minute, and uh, Leon Bailey had a great chance to win it late and just, you know, yeah. couldn't finish. But, um, you know, I think for both of these teams, I think you mentioned at Villa, I think you have to be, you know, pleased with your performances in general. Um, you know, you you want to, you know, you'd like to win at home, but it's not a bad result. I think they, you know, were a better team, obviously. Being down to go help that, but even once it went one-one, I still think in the last 15 minutes they were the better team too, which you know would give me some hope. You know, would make me happy if I were a Villa supporter. And then in terms of Wolves, like you know, you, you play defense most of the time. Um, I, you know, I think Romatino is a creative player that they have. Um, we, we've said it so many times. This is a team that's going to struggle. Is going to struggle winning games. They just don't have the quality up front to consistently score. Their best players are in defense, right? Semedo, Neves, uh, Kilman, Collins. You know, I think the last two games, Collins has made a great last-ditch, you know, uh, tackle uh, on the Man United game, and then Kilman did what he did today. So I think, you know, this is how the team is built, and that's how they're going to have to scrape by, right? This is a uh, this is like a poor man's Newcastle United. They are solid <laughs> at the back, and they're weak up front. And yeah. they're just going to have to grind out the results. And look, a point away is a point away. It's not. It's nothing to write home about, but it's 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 fine. It's you know, it's not a bad result by any means. And you know, when I look at the standings, they're in the relegation battle. And anytime you can score a point, you got to yeah. take it. And uh, you know, if I were a Wolves fan, I I wouldn't be thrilled with the performance because I think if you're a Wolves team and you get up one nil, especially on the on the road, <laughs> that's a game you'd like to try and seal those three points with where. You know, the precarious position they find themselves in but at the end of the day it's a point if you told them before the game you get a point they probably take it and I think yeah. it was good enough 
Yeah, and just just going back to both goals, I think the Podence one is uh, definitely check that out. Some beautiful footwork in the in the box as well, and then just curls it in at the far post. Uh, and then the Ings one, like I think this kind of sums up your luck when you're you're at the bottom half of the table. The keeper kind of slips as he's trying to close down Ings, and, uh, and all he has to do is kind of tap it past the keeper that's half on the floor, half getting up. And you know, a different day, I I think the result was fair. I'm not saying that, but you know, a different day if the keeper doesn't slip there, then maybe they kind of hold on to that that one nil win. And I think that that's where luck comes into this, like, such fine margins. And to your point, they are in the relegation battle based on that the teams around you are often going to be losing so anytime you get a point you're going to be making ground on someone somewhere so um yeah definitely definitely we'll be happy with the point but uh concerns going forward in terms of if when they start playing some of the better teams uh what wolves are going to be able to do but talking uh of terrible terrible teams uh another relegation battle southampton versus Nottingham Forest. Um, Forest did what they need to do when you're in a relegation battle. You beat the teams around you. You beat the teams below you. Uh, you get a bit of distance between you and themselves. Southampton, I, I don't have a lot to say more than they just seem resigned that they're going to get relegated. Like that, that just doesn't say... I don't know where they're going to score, like how they're going to score, other than like a Ward-Prowse free kick, um, I think is like the, pretty much their only option for, for scoring a goal. And it just... They just look so lifeless. It's it's kind of sad to see. You don't want to see, especially with with so much time to play, these players just being so dejected and almost being resigned to their fate of, of relegation. What were your your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so just quickly on this one because we, we we like to talk today. Um, yeah, I, I slagged off Everton before, but if you're a Southampton fan, you have to feel just as terrible. Yeah. Uh, this is you can't be losing at home to Nottingham, uh, you know Nottingham Forest. It, it's just a terrible result. It really is. And, and what's even worse is how they played. You know, right. I, I you know I just talked about you know Villa against Wolves. Villa got down a goal and they were kind of in the ascendancy, right? Which is what you would expect. This game, Southampton were in a you know down a goal within the 30th minute and there was really no response. But not Forest were still the better team even after that. And uh, you know I think that's really a, a bad performance. I think your mate here. Uh, the Welshman, the um, I think he's Nicola. only been in charge four games. Oh What's yes. His name? No. Um, yes, Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones. Yes, I knew it was something generic. I wanted to say <laughs> generic Um He's on the hot seat. I know it's been four games, but this has been four really bad performances in general. Um, I don't even know. Have they won one of the last four? Have they even in a draw? No. Four. You know, they're on the losing streak. They're rock bottom of the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. No new manager bounce here. Uh, this no. is a team that has been a fixture of the Premier League. I think since like 20, 2012, they've been in the Premier League. Yeah, they are probably the number one candidate right now to get relegated. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. Um, and before we kind of get onto the, the managers in hot water, one one game left to go through. Uh, I mentioned Leicester, kind of probably the last team on that border of really being in the relegation battle. Um, that's not to say teams like Palace or Villa might not drop down, but um, for the most part, there's becoming a bit of a, a points difference there, and they they lose at home to Fulham. Uh, Mitrovic scoring again, uh, lovely ball from William, um, and then. Mitrovic uh, just showing what he can do anytime he has the ball in the box with the score. Um, I have fears for Fulham in terms of being able to keep hold of him. If they can keep hold of him at least throughout the year, I think they got a real chance of, of qualifying for Europe maybe um, with, with how some of the teams around them are playing and, and the goals. I think if they lose him, that'll be a big loss. But he's got to be on the radar the way he scores um, and it's just proven ability if it's not kind of 
just a, a lucky 10 game stretch like he's done been doing this for a couple of years now broke the record last year in the in the championship for how many goals um and you know in the world cup scored as well so he's he's doing it on every stage every level um what are your thoughts on on leicester versus fulham uh, a little better because I had the over in this game and there were plenty of opportunities, <laughs> but no one could finish. I, I want to point out William uh, for Fulham, I think has been, you know, especially since the World Cup break has really impressed me. Yeah. I think he's had a you know major is a major reason why Fulham has been as good as they are. He's he's obviously a class player. He's been around uh, Brown, former Chelsea player. Um, but he, he was, I thought, um, really he, he's someone who really stuck out. Um I thought, you know, Vardy had missed an opportunity on the break to tie it up. Um, Tielemans late was off the bar. So, you know, Leicester certainly had their opportunities in this game. They just, they couldn't finish. Um, So I think, you know, this is a result where, you know, you want to get, you want to get some points. Uh, And they, oh, you know, honestly, I I actually missed their best opportunity. Uh, (laughs) I think, I don't even want to, I want to say maybe five yards out. Um, it was it was a perfect Tielemans cross, right. and Iosi Perez just balloons this freaking thing. <laughs> I mean, he I mean he could have put three goals on top of the goal. I'm not sure it goes in. Um, yeah. Yeah, Which it, is actually harder have, to do than score. Like it, yes, it was more you, impressive he, what he did. And I'm not joking. He was maybe five yards out. And when you're that close and you and you can't finish off a beautiful Tielemans ball, you know I, I think I, I think Leicester are, are better than most of the teams we've talked about towards the bottom of the table so i think they'll stay up but mm-hmm. you don't want to just be blowing these opportunities especially at home and i yeah. felt like this is a game where they should have definitely gotten at least a point out of um just you know telemans off the bar vardy missing the opportunity like i mentioned and then that perez attempt was just horrific so uh i think fulham are, are lucky to get all three to escape uh three with all three points there so we'll move on to the question that Olin sent me around uh, who do we think is going to be the next manager from the Premier League to be to be sacked uh, he mentioned Frank Lampard Nathan Jones obviously or or is it going to be someone else um, I think those two have got to be the biggest in contention just with the way their teams are playing um, and just kind of yeah, the, the the trajectory that their teams are on I think there's probably other managers that you could mention um in terms of the way their teams are playing, but those two, to me, I think it's it's the coin toss between those two. I think, I think it's going to be Frank Lampard. I think his days are numbered. I think he saved his job with the City result, the draw there. Um, but then to follow that up with with that second half performance this week against Brighton, um, I think he's just put him right back in hot water and 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 one more defeat and he's he's out the door. What are your thoughts on on the next manager to be fired? Uh, yeah, I think you named the name two, the main two contenders here. Uh, I think they've there's two teams of the worst two going right now, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I don't see either one of them making it out of the season, if I'm being honest. Um, I think the only other contender is uh, Conte if he loses his mind again, which is possible. But yeah, I think uh, between your buddy, your Welsh friend Jones, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Frankie Lamps, I think one of them is uh, hitting the exit, if not both. Um, maybe within the month. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, how? How? What are your thoughts on uh, Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth? Do you think he's? Uh, you know, they're obviously shipping some goals pretty regularly. They're not doing too well. Do you think? Uh, again, it always comes back to my question of like, well, who who are you bringing in? Like, I think you need to, especially when you're in a relegation battle, you don't have time to go out and look for someone else. Like, you got to have someone lined up. And I don't know if there's 
people knocking down the door for some of these jobs. Um, and I know that's what West Ham said about David Moyes, that you know, if they were in this position without Moyes, David Moyes is the type of manager they'd look for, so why are we going to get rid of him? Um, so I think there's a, there's a bit of that with, with O'Neill at, at Bournemouth that could keep him safe. And I think there's a bit of that, um, even with Lampard at Everton, that might keep him around of like, well, we don't know who our other option is. Are we going to bring Wayne Rooney in? I don't know. Uh, that's, that's not been successful um, in the past. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But as we talk about managers, um, Joe, I'm going to, as our U.S. men's national team specialist, I'm going to pass it over for a, for a quick overview of the drama that has been uh, Triple G versus the Rayner family this week and everything that's going on um, and your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I'm just going to touch on it quickly and maybe we can talk about it next episode a little bit more because um, we'll just be going over the FA Cup fixtures. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I've kind of joked, this is, this is, I think, finally put U.S. soccer on the map in this country. <laughs> Uh, you know, a Nancy Kerrigan style uh, scandal, almost essentially. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a bizarre scandal. First of all, uh, Greg Berhalter comes out with a, a long Twitter post from a new account that he just created um, <laughs> to to give out his message that oh, there was an incident 31 years ago where he kicked his wife, uh, his then girlfriend, now wife, and you know it led it was a, it was a you know I think he said like a cornerstone moment in their relationship where you know she separated for a while um you know and decided to give him a second chance later on it, it was a weird ambiguous thing because it's like you know like it's not normally the terminology you hear with you know domestic abuse like a kick like it, it's kind of weird to me um but regardless that that was the incident at hand and he said people were blackmailing him right so that's kind of a scandalous thing like who's doing this <laughs> and then little did we find out that um U.S. soccer announces that they're having an investigation into these incidents, and it comes out that the incidents were first reported by Claudia Reina, uh, Claudia Reina's wife and Gio Reina's mother, Danielle Reina, <laughs> who, um, you know, first of all, I think it's <laughs> the craziest aspect of this is the relationship, right? So U.S. soccer, even though this is a country of over 300, about 30 million at this point, is so incestuous, right? <laughs> I think every manager besides Jurgen Klinsmann has been from the New York, New Jersey area within the last 25 years. So whether it be Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley, or you know Greg Berhalter, they're all from the same area. Yeah. So you have that. And the crazy thing about this, about this story, is right, is the impetus behind it is that, you know. Obviously, before the World Cup, there was an issue because Gio Reyna was told that by Greg Berhalter that he wasn't going to play much. And then Gio Reyna kind of lashed out. But then eventually, after a poor reaction, he kind of got it together, apologized to the team, and they went to the World Cup. So after the World Cup, Berhalter says, oh, one of the players was kind of a, was acting up and we almost had to, you know, cut him from the World Cup team and send him back home. So obviously, everyone knows they're talking about Gio Reyna. But Which is that, weird for him to say, right? Like, I just sorry to interject. Yes. Like, why? Like, especially when you're still the coach. You like, I know his contract's up right now, but he wanted to continue to be the coach. This is one of your best players. Like, it doesn't make any. Like, I don't understand why he said that. But sorry, go ahead. No, absolutely great interruption. Yeah, it was very poor on Burhalter's um, end. <laughs> so, because of those comments, this causes Daniel Reyna, who knows about these allegations, because why? Because she was on the same. University of North Carolina soccer team as Greg Berhalter's now wife. So, so Danielle now uh, Reina 
and Greg Berhalter's wife, I, I, I'm forgetting her name, I'm drawing a blank, were very close in high school and they used to take road trips together to different, um, you know, meets and in, in where they had big tournaments. So, so they're very close. So obviously she would have told him about, told her about these allegations and, and what, you know, what happened. And, and so, <laughs> you know, Danielle Reyna knows about these allegations and then according to her, and this is where I think one of the big questions is going to be when we go forward is she says she told Ernie Stewart, who is her friend and obviously Claudia Reyna's friend. So he's in charge of us soccer. <laughs> Ernie Stewart is friends with both Berhalter and Reyna. They were all basically played on around the same time. So when he hears um, Gio Reyna's mother, Danielle say that, Oh, Greg Berhalter made mistakes when he was a kid too. And then she, you know, tells Ernie Stewart what these, what these allegations were and what happened to her, uh, you know, to Greg, what Greg Berhalter did and said, you know, her, her own, her whole point was like, Oh, you know, kids make mistakes. Gino made a mistake. Why is he being punished by Greg when Greg did these bad things when he was a kid? Right. Right. <laughs> so Ernie Stewart, you know, he's a friend, I guess, of, of the Reynas, but also he's in charge of U- U.S. Soccer Federation. So he has to relay what he's heard, and that kind of opened up this whole <laughs> investigation. But the right. question is, um, you know, Berhalter kind of – he didn't say specifically it was blackmail, but he described in his, you know, his message that he tweeted, like, what you would – what would happen to you if you were blackmailed, right? right. And Gio Reyna's mother is just saying when, she's, when she was talking to Ernie Stewart – she would just brought it up to him as like a like a way to vent but that you know there's a big difference between telling somebody something that is actually true and something that did happen right and then and blackmailing somebody right blackmail involves like you were threatening somebody you were telling them you know i'm this is going to come out or else you know that's not what was communicated with what she said and yeah. it, so that's so that's going to be part of the storyline going forward um so it's just this huge mess and i think it reveals a couple things about the U.S. national team, and I think, like all things, right? It's like a lot of things in sports. It's so incestuous, right? All these people know each other. They've all been former teammates. They all now work in different areas. You know, Claudia Reyna, you know, works for an MLS team in Austin City, uh, in Austin, excuse me, Austin FC. Um, Daniel Reyna obviously knew Greg Berhalter's wife for 30 years. So these are relationships that extend longer than I've been alive, right? <laughs> and, and and now they all come to a front over this incident at the World Cup in 2022 over Giorena, who it appears has kind of been like, had nothing to do with this. I mean, we don't right. know if that's true or not, but it seems like he's kind of innocent. And now, but he's the one that's kind of got to wear this. And I think going forward, it's just really awkward for U.S. soccer, obviously. There's still much more to know. Greg Berhalter's out of contract, but he kind of... You know, I don't look. I'm not a huge fan of his. I, I think in the World Cup they did what they were supposed to. Um, so he has said that he wants to continue as manager, but like, how is he going to continue as manager? Because right. obviously you have the elephant in the room with with Giorena, but also what do the other teammates feel? And you know, this isn't a club side where you can just let three, four, five guys that might be unhappy with you go. You're stuck right. with the team you have. You know, so it's just a kebab of of chaos. <laughs> And I don't know what's going to happen. I think, you know, we'll obviously follow us and continue it. But, yeah, this is this is up with there with, you know, Ireland and England and France and all these countries that are major scandals. The yeah. U.S. is now part of it. And it just lies so deep because these are such 
entrenched old relationships that have come apart so quickly and so like firely and you know these relationships will never be mended obviously it's just a matter of right how does this get resolved yeah yeah and i think like by not to belabor the point anymore my we're in a group chat and and someone was saying like does this mean georain is done with the the men's national team and my response to that was no like at the end of the day like he's probably the most secure in in all of this because at the end of the day he's going to be the kid who's going to be one of U.S. men's national team's best players for the next. Hopefully, you know, hopefully, hopefully, if, if he, he if he continues healthy. the path, if he stays healthy and continues down the path, he is like. At the Don't end go of to day, Chelsea, young man. Don't go to yeah, Chelsea. That's that's all. That's all people will care about, right? Like he's the one yeah. that's going to be on the pitch and and hopefully winning games for the U.S. Yeah. So I think I think he's the in terms of his career prospects, it's the least impactful. Berhalter obviously is the most under fire, but it's just such a bizarre bizarre situation. Just over, like I say, I think I think. Everyone has lessons learned to learn from this. Uh, Berhalter, you know, when you're still the coach, you don't come out. You know, this is the kind of thing you write in a book 60 years later when none of the people are still playing or, or involved, not kind of 10 minutes after getting off the plane from Qatar. You come out and say, oh, yeah, there was this incident. And, like, yes, he didn't name names, but, you know, it would take an idiot to not know who he was talking about. And then, obviously, the whole Rainer family and that whole mess and, you know, saying, like, oh, I was just ranting to a friend. It's like, yes, but you know who that friend is and what they're going to have to do with this information that you're, quote, unquote, ranting about. You, 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 you ranted with purpose. Um, I don't think she was naive right. to that fact right. um, that she was just talking to a friend and then suddenly was like, oh no, now it's got out. It's like, no, you knew who you were ranting to and, and there was motive there, in my opinion, obviously not, not being uh, involved in it. But it'll be, yeah, it'll be a fun one to, to track moving forward. Um, to not see, fun, see but it'll happen. be one Not to fun, track. sorry, yes. Fun to, not a fun situation, fun to track for us and our, our news purposes. Um, Winners and losers this week. I guess we've got a few losers right there, but who was who your winner this week? Uh, so I'm going to go um, a little off the board like I did last week. Um, and my winner is going to be soccer presentations. Uh, <laughs> this week we had two of the bigger celebrations we ever had, Luis Suarez being introduced in Brazil, and of yeah. course Ronaldo being introduced in Saudi Arabia. And, and I think other than the Miami Heat, when they signed LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, I can't remember this happening in America where someone gets signed and it's just one person and the whole stadium will be filled out, yeah. you know, of just people. Just just so crazy, right? So, and these are two places, right? You don't typically see these in Brazil and Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> so, um, to soccer celebrations, even in the middle of January hats off you are my winner of the week yeah it's uh it's, it's it's such a fascinating thing and we were talking uh just before we we started recording and i i can't imagine ever going to one myself like to just go and see a player literally maybe do a couple of kick-ups and then boot a ball into the crowd um just wait until their next home game and, and see them actually do what what they're paid to do um my my winner is actually uh along those lines he was going to be my loser um before i did a bit of extra research which i'm glad i did so i didn't have to get fat corrected but my winner is Jalodin Masharoparov, I think is how you say his name. Probably botching that name. Uh, he's Al Nasir's former number seven, where Cristiano Ronaldo now plays. And obviously, 
wanted to come and and take the number seven shirt. The initial rumors were that he refused and and lost his job uh, and was just terminated, which you know wouldn't be surprising from from some of these Saudi out, uh, outfits to kind of do that to to one of their own. Um, so yeah, he was their former number seven. Rumored to lose his job. Upon further research, they they have announced that he is actually still employed by the club and now wears the number seventy seven. Uh, so he's my winner this week for having rumors to have lost his job, but but really has been uh, joyfully employed the whole time. Uh, who do you have as a loser this week? Syria R football. <laughs> broad strokes. Nice and broad. <laughs> Take it down. Um, so they played their first game since the World Cup. Uh, a World Cup, mind you, Italy wasn't in. So you think the crowds would be excited looking for football. They decided to play this game on Wednesday. They play games all day Wednesday, uh, capping off with uh, Inter Milan and Napoli, which was a huge game. Mm-hmm. Um, the Inter Milan won 1-0. But the amazing thing about these games, it was looked like there was no crowds. Um, <laughs> I, granted, I know it's like a random Wednesday, and I don't know why they started the league on a random Wednesday, but... Um, and for the life of me, if there's a holiday I didn't know about, I, I looked up and I couldn't find anything, but there was no crowds. It was amazing. Like, where are the people? Um, <laughs> I was just stunned by it. You know, it's like part of, uh, you know, watching football is, is the crowd engagement, right? And we see how, how many times they make a difference in matches, the crowd, you know, keeping you going, you know, and there, there was just none of that passion in Italy. So, it was very disappointing to i was excited to watch there was you know there's nothing else to watch in the dan once they saw let me put on some Syria soccer and i'm like oh this is weird there's nobody here yeah so and, my losers of the week the entire Syria <laughs> league well and and that's a league where now lazio have to play behind closed doors due to to further racism issues and we were talking about those in uh in la liga last week so um that's also loserish uh behavior that's going on there as well uh my loser this week is oreo soldavia um probably asking who is oreo soldavia he was released by birmingham city uh, i think about this time last year probably the january window he was uh his contract was terminated uh this week he managed to score a hat trick for intercity st joan d'alicant um yeah. You know, you're probably wondering why am I watching that game? It was against the mighty Barcelona, so he scores a hat trick. Uh, again, you're probably asking why does that make him a loser? Uh, they didn't win the game, <laughs> so it was it was a fun game. Check out the highlights. Uh, it ends up going to extra time because of his hat trick, three three at fi- the final whistle. But but Barcelona kind of take it over over the top in in extra time and end up winning four three. So you know, you do everything you can you're looking for the ultimate they're in the third tier of, of spanish football so looking for that ultimate upset against the giants that are barcelona you score a hat trick what more can you do um so it's just uh it probably should be a winner he's probably going to remember this day or he will remember this day the rest of his life and it's a big moment for him but you know to do all of that and and still come out as losers and um probably get quickly forgotten beyond anyone else apart from him and his family pretty quickly uh it, it's got to go down as my loser this week so that Joe, that kind of wraps things up. We're heading into FA Cup weekend. Uh, I know that Olin has kind of given his thoughts on on some games to to look out for. Do we want to quickly go over those before before we sign off for the week? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're FA Cup is basically a playoff type, you know, competition, right? Everybody in the football league, what do you call it, pyramid? Yeah, yeah. So everyone in the football league pyramid plays. So this goes anywhere from you know some recreational uh, team in Hardypool to, you know, 
Manchester City. All every team in England that you know wants to sign up plays. And so now we're into the what do they call it? Third round proper. I think they yeah. have to call it. And I believe there's 64 teams left. Could be yeah, wrong. this is also the the stage when the Premier League teams are introduced. Yes. So they don't play in yes. the earlier rounds. They are introduced at the third round stage um, to give other teams probably the opportunity to, to progress and also not add to the number of fixtures that these teams need. So that's also why yes. the third round is usually the big one to watch. Yes, yeah, so there will be 32 fixtures this weekend. So it's a lot to take in. And the games <laughs> are all day Saturday in Sunday. So Olin, I think him and me have a similar mindset when we're watching the FA Cup. Now his team, his favorite team is West Bromwich Albion. So they're actually in the championship. So he's he's used to lower division football in the championship, right? <laughs> Um, you know, us as, you know, teams that, you know, support teams that, you know, in the Premier League, it's a little bit different. But I think what he and, you know, I think what we both agree on is the great thing about the FA Cup, especially in this third round, is you have the mixing of these huge clubs with these very, not, I don't want to say tiny, but just smaller clubs, right? Some of them are tiny, but just smaller clubs. And yeah. I think the great thing is, is especially in this round is seeing these, these teams on these smaller grounds, they're going to be packed to the gills and watching these big clubs that are not used to being playing in these conditions going down and playing these conditions. So Olin gave me about five games to watch this weekend, all in the different time slots. So, and they most of them follow this. One of them doesn't, but most of them follow this philosophy. So this um, 7.30 Saturday is kind of the first TV window. He has um, Gillingham versus Leicester. So obviously we know Leicester's kind of been struggling. They're probably going to rotate some guys. You know, Gillingham's a smaller side. Um, they play at a tighter ground, so that should be a fun a fun matchup. The 10 p.m. is Bournemouth versus Burnley, two teams that are playing well. Um, uh, Burnley's playing very well. They're, you know, top of the championship, so they'll probably be in the Premier League. Um, it'll just probably be – it'll probably just be a fun matchup. Um, so that's the one that he told us to watch at 10 12:30, and I agree with this one is Coventry versus Wrexham. So Coventry is a historic club. Um, I think they're currently in the Championship, or maybe are they in League One? Uh, let me double check that. I, I was texting Olin yesterday that there's about 50 teams between the Championship and the Conference that you could tell me they're in one league, and I, I would be surprised. So let me just check that yes. while, you, while you continue. But Coventry is a famous club that um, has, you know, hasn't had any Premier League seat. They are in the Championship, recently. just to confirm. So they're still in the Championship, okay. Yeah. So they're playing Wrexham, and the thing about Wrexham, if you've watched the documentary on them, obviously Rob McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds own the club, and this game is at 12.30 on Saturday, Wrexham against Coventry, away at Coventry, should be a fun game, I think a lot of the TV coverage will be focused on that game. Another game, I want to point that, you know, Olin doesn't mention, but at 1, Sheffield Wednesday is playing Newcastle. Yeah. I think that's a fun one to watch. Sheffield Wednesday is a club that's been perennially in the championship of League One. Um, a very ardent supporter base, so I think that'll be a fun one. If you want to be a little sadistic, Millwall play Sheffield United. That's yeah. going to be a rough encounter, I'd imagine. So yeah. that game is at 10. Uh, so I think that's a Saturday schedule. And then on Sunday, we have Cardiff against Leeds, which is fun. Cardiff, as, as you well know, one of yeah. the two biggest clubs in in Wales, they're they're playing at home against Leeds. That's a classic championship side. Cardiff has been struggling this year. They're playing Leeds, who, you know, are in this tricky spot. So that'll be fun. 
Um, and, the, and these two teams, like the fan bases, hate each other. They're, they're oh, not geographically okay. they're, they're not geographically close. Um, they just have an ongoing rivalry for years and years and years. A um, couple of nasty fan yes. groups. Uh, I mean that in a polite way, nasty, but uh, they definitely are not the fans of each other. Yes, Olin mentions that uh, yeah. they hate each other. And then the eleven thirty <laughs> fixture. This is surprising from Olin, but I understand why he did it. Uh, Manchester City against Chelsea. <laughs> It's a huge matchup. There's really no the only other 11:30 game is Villa against Stevenage, but it's at Villa, so that kind of docks it a little bit. So Manchester City against Chelsea should be fun. Um, you know, anything that anything anything that Grand Potter could do could help him. A win away to to Man City in the FA Cup could do that. Yeah. And then the last game on Monday, January 9th, might be one of the better ones. The mighty Oxford United playing Arsenal at home. Again, this is what you want to see: a big club. Right now, the team that's on top of the English pyramid going away to Oxford United. Um, this could have been Exeter be City. Fun. I'm just going to say because yes. Exeter City played them in Oxford the last round. Uh, we actually yes. beat Oxford this weekend in the league, but that's a that's a that's a different story for a different podcast. But yes, yeah. So I think just in general, and I think you know, Olin, we the games we just the you know seven or eight games I just mentioned. What you want to do is, I think, primarily you want to start by watching games where smaller clubs are playing home against bigger teams, generally in the Premier League, maybe in the Championship. And I think that that's kind of a fun thing. And then the great thing about it is all these games, if you're in the United States, are on ESPN+. Plus. So there's there's basically five or six games every window on Saturday and right. in the early one Sunday. So what you do and what I do is I watch the games, and then when I see an interesting score, like, oh, okay, let me put it on there. Yeah. Oh, you're telling me that, you know, I don't even know, like, uh, you know, oh, you know, Cardiff is up on Leeds. Let me turn it on that. Oh, Fleetwood Town is up on QPR. Oh, let me put <laughs> it on there, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, don't, you know, I know Brentford is playing West Ham and um, there's a few other Premier League versus Premier League duels. Tottenham against Pompey, I think, is a fun game. It is at Tottenham Stadium, so that's a little bit different. But it just... In this round, I would just encourage you if you, you know you primarily just watch the Premier League, you know watch some different games. Like Liverpool Wolves are playing in a standalone window. I, I don't really need to see Liverpool Liverpool play Wolves, right? Right. I, I'm here in this competition. I want to see fun. Te- I want to see different teams. I want to see Coventry City play Wrexham. I want to see Grimsley Town play Burton Albion. You know these teams all have an opportunity to. To, to you know make it I want to watch Hardy Pool United against Stoke City that game gets me so excited and I just you know it's fun to see different stadiums different fans and even if the game is crap oh it's you watch it for five ten minutes and you turn on to another one you know I just I think this round is a really fun round it's the most like you know NCAA tournament March Madness basketball equivalent in the US that's what this, that's what this kind of is this is smaller teams there's some powerhouses playing you know like we mentioned Chelsea Man City I just think this is kind of like in a very authentic grassroots way soccer has has you know you know this is a grassroots tournament for the English game yeah and it means a lot to a lot of these teams so one of my uh biggest extra city games I've ever been to was uh we we drew man united in the cup in in uh the third round and we got to go up to old trafford uh man united didn't take the game seriously so kind of played their their third string team we managed to grind out a very very good nil nil draw going back to 
nil nil draws can still be exciting and uh, a joyful occasion uh, and that's kind of like one of the biggest games I've ever been to uh, and then obviously then they have to come down because they, they don't go to extra time in this they, if, if there's a tie it goes to a replay and you have to go and play at the other team's ground um, for the replay and so the mighty Man United had to come down to the real St. James's Park at Exeter and cram themselves into a tiny little dressing room uh, that they're probably not used to. You know, you have to walk off the bus and you have to walk through the crowd like on the pitch to get to the changing rooms. There's no kind of fancy entrance where you can drive the bus into uh, and just seeing Ronaldo, Rooney kind of in those situations is, uh, yeah, it means a lot to these these smaller clubs and it's also a good payday for them. Um, and a lot of these, these teams need every penny. Uh, so yeah, definitely love the third round of the FA Cup and beyond. So check it out, see what you think. Um, it's always good as well, especially with some of these games being on early, you could probably kind of get the gist of, of what's happened and, and cherry pick which to go back to and, yes. and take a look at as well so you don't have to kind of commit to being up first thing in the morning at, at 7 30 yes. watching some of these games so that's also good as well so uh nope. yeah and uh don't be just, beholden to any one game just look around yeah find something you like find a competitive game find a crowd you find amusing you know and and we are not committing to a five hour deep dive into these thirty two fixtures uh, for uh, our podcast next week. So, we're so don't expect us to be talking games. about all of them. No, um, next week we're gonna maybe get more into the poor halter stuff. We'd yeah. like to do a deep dive maybe on Chelsea or another club, and we we are gonna just kind of breeze over the FA Cup, talk about the major matches. If we have any, you know, David sl- slaying Goliath, so to speak, we'll mm-hmm. obviously touch on that, and then. Uh, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, more Premier League matches until Thursday with the huge Chelsea versus Fulham derby. Maybe Chelsea can finally beat the big brothers Fulham and, <laughs> you know, get above them in the table. We'll see. Yeah. So, uh, you know, enjoy yeah. this week. Uh, obviously, in America, the NFL season is coming to uh, – regular season is coming to an end. So what better way to augment that with some FA Cup playoff action um, no, throughout sure. the course of the week. So don't forget to, to subscribe to the podcast. Get this straight into your inbox or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Joe, how can people reach out to us on uh, email? Uh, just just yell at us. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, you can message us, of course, at um, what is, what is uh, wrong the wrongfoot podcast, podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why I had a little blank there. I wanted to call it <laughs> follow, something else. You can follow us on Twitter at WrongFootPod and uh, check out the website. A couple of articles up there from Olin, who we mentioned a lot. He uh, he provides a lot of content for us, so we appreciate it. Uh, he's written a couple of the articles. Oracle. On. The Oracle. Exactly. He, uh, maybe we'll have him on to give us a, an overview of what life as a uh, a man living in Ireland supporting West Bromwich Albion. I don't know how many there are. I know his family well, are a long line of West Bromwich Albion fans. But, uh, unless we'll you follow the championship, you might not know. But West Brom is uh, rocketing out the table. They're only a couple of spots off the playoff spots. So Exactly. Yeah, so we'll are. definitely have him on at some point. Maybe during the – maybe if West Brom makes the playoffs. But we'll definitely have him on. If not for that, something else. Yeah, and like I say, written a couple of articles on on the website wrongfootpodcast.com, uh, one on on Argentina and ranking them amongst all World Cup winners, uh, as well as a great article on Pele and kind of looking yes. at his career on and off the pitch. Um, yes. So yeah, check that out. Well, and no sorry, man loves Hungarian football more than him. Yeah, some of his deep cut references may be over most people's heads, but it's uh, he is like uh, Joe says, the oracle of a lot of knowledge, and uh, we appreciate all the information he shares with us because uh, helps us with with our podcast and our website. So thanks to Olin, uh, Joe. It's been a pleasure as always. 
uh we'll uh we'll reconvene next week if if anyone out there is a chelsea fan let us know uh happy to try and connect and, and get your thoughts on the current situation of the club and uh joe enjoy the rest of your friday hey take it easy long live the king